episode 42 of If These Walls, in which we talk about, oops, big mistakes, is best paired with a spagliato cocktail, recipe included in the episode, and listening to slash doing the full choreo for Britney Spears' Oops, I Did It Again. Five, six, seven, eight. Hey, Winnie. Hey, Audrey. What's up? Mm, you tell me. You you called me. It's your topic this week, right? It's my week? No, I just did Famous Planes. Someone's a forgetful Sally. No. Oh, last week was Ways to Die in Australia. We did the Mouse Plague. This is definitely your week. Oh. Um. Babe, do you not have a topic to discuss on our podcast? No, I do. It's... Elena? I've made a huge tiny mistake. Welcome to If These Walls, a storytelling podcast. A storytelling podcast about the parts of history and culture that make us more human and define our world and our own lives. And you know what makes us human? Making mistakes. Many of them. So, so many of them. Like me. Just kidding. I was planned and anticipated. Like me. Just kidding. No, really. I was not planned. But you're a delight and we're happy you're here. (laughs) Thank you. Each week, we will both share real stories and tell tales, famous, infamous, or unknown, that fall under our interpretations about a specific theme. And this week, Elena has chosen... Oops! Big mistakes. And I have to backtrack real quick and apologize for my punctuation when I announced this topic last week. There's no colon. So when you hear the colon, guys, remember it's not supposed to be there, okay, gals? It's a silent, silent colon. Hey, Elena, why this now? I've made some uh-ohs. Oh. I mean, no. 99.99% are inconsequential and really only have affected me in my own life. Um, I haven't made what I would say was a huge life choice mistake that makes me cringe or really impacted my world or the worlds of those around me that much, to my knowledge. I can't think of anything that had, like, ripples from my mistakes. But then again, I wouldn't know if they did necessarily. I definitely made some mistakes in college. Like I was definitely dating a guy who I gave too much crap for not actually dating me. But when I look back on it, yeah, we were dating. Like he devoted a lot of time to me. He hung out with my friends. And I I, I bungled that. I did a bad job with that. But he looks very happy with his wife. So that's okay. I did that in my 30s. So my mistakes have never been that large, but I have also never had to navigate a barge through the Suez Canal. Oof. I mean, what I do on a day-to-day basis does not tend to have monumental world consequences. Unless you believe in the butterfly effect and the fact that maybe I sneezed in the kitchen at 1.42 p.m. instead of in the bathroom at 12.36 p.m. and that had an effect on the Chinese stock market or whatever Jeff Goldblum wanted us to believe. I believe everything Jeff Goldblum tells me. I agree. 
Before we get deeper into mistakes, I'm going to introduce this week's cocktail pairing. So I told you what it was at the top of the episode, but I wanted to explain it in the episode proper. Uh, This week's drink is called a spagliato. Gesundheit. Thank you. Which is Italian for mistake. (laughs) So the lore is as such. Supposedly, a bartender grabbed sparkling wine instead of gin as he was making a cocktail, resulting in this sparkling and delicious mistake. For one serving, pour four ounces dry Prosecco into a glass with ice, top with one ounce sweet vermouth, half ounce Campari, and a splash of club soda. Stir gently and garnish with a lime wheel. Putting bubbles on bubbles. There's club soda with the Prosecco? Mm-hmm. Sounds interesting. Campari doesn't treat me right, though. I gotta say. It tastes... I, I can't do a Negroni. I've tried it so many times. What is Campari? Um, It's... Someone can actually tell me, because um, I don't have it in front of me now, but it definitely tastes like it has fennel and or anise in it. It is licorice and I do not like that. Uh, okay. I do not like that. So the traditional definition of mistake is an action or judgment that is misguided or wrong. If you make a mistake, it's a choice that you actively participated in that was, quote unquote, wrong. Did you have something to say? Campari is famous for its bittersweet taste, one marked by underlying flavors of cherry, cascarilla, clove, rhubarb, cinnamon, and orange peel. But it's the cascarilla I hate. Cascarilla. Got it. Great name for a pet monkey, though. Cascarilla. Mistakes are unintentional. Your choice was intentional, but the outcome, when you're mistaken, is unintentional. Intentional action is an error of malice of forethought. And this strikes me as some kind of Alanis Morissette phenomenon because a bad decision is not the same thing as a mistake, just like rain on your wedding day isn't ironic. It's just unfortunate. Who would have thought it figures? It can be easy to brush off a bad decision as a mistake, but that's an intentional decision, not a mistake. A mistake is unintended. Capiche? So every time (laughs) I made a mistake... No, Brenda. You, you made a decision. You knew that wasn't Steve. That was Mike. And you know that Steve loves Mike and nothing would hurt him more than if it was Mike that you love more than Steve. Oh, Brenda, you've ruined everything. So to answer why this now, I thought of this topic after the recent Suez Canal incident with the Ever Given. Big mistake. Huge. And I thought a lot about the power that one human decision can have. The ripples of it, to steal my own word, because I'm so smart. And how small, I started to think how small some of these human mistakes are compared to the impact that they have in the world. So as you know, because I texted you in a frantic panic, there's so many directions that we could go with this topic. It's just huge. So I'm going to focus on mistakes so big that they change the course of history, because at our roots, We are a history podcast with a Hamilton twinge, after all, kind of. Protect the Duke. What? Did you hear that? Protect the Duke. Yes, that's a big one. Let's talk about that mistake. Okay. So everyone knows that the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand of Austria is what sent us careening into World War I. But did you know that it was the Arch, Arch, 
that's not a word, Archduke's chauffeur, Leopold Loika. Real quick, that is a great vocal warm-up for actors. The Archduke chauffeur. The Archduke's <laughs> chauffeur. Do it with me. The, the Archduke's chauffeur, chauffeur, Leopold Loika, made a tiny mistake that led Franz directly into the path of his assassin. After the first attempted assassination on June 28, 1914, a bombing that the Archduke's chauffeur saved him from, Franz instructed his chauffeur to take him to the hospital to visit the victims of the bombing. On the way there, Leopold took a wrong turn, passing the cafe where Gavrilo Princip sat, stewing in not only all of the vowels in his own name, but his (laughs) sadness about failing at his first assassination attempt. He saw the car, ran outside, couldn't believe his own luck, and shot, cementing the event in history. Would World War I have happened without the assassination? Likely. But still, bad day for the chauffeur to not use Google Maps, you know? Oh, my God. I didn't realize that there was one guy we could blame this whole time. Yeah. The Archduke's chauffeur. Chauffeur. Which also, great name for a tavern, then. The Archduke's chauffeur. It's really hard to say. Like, if if you wanted to name a bar The Drunken Mistake or... The lady's afterthought or whatever it is. The Archduke's chauffeur. Actually, just calling it Leopold's mistake. That's a good one. Death bar. <laughs> Let's just call it. Let's just get to the point. Okay. So while we are in the war slash global politics arena, let's talk about not learning from someone else's big mistake. The harsh lesson being don't get caught in Russia in the winter. Oh my God, guys. In 1708, Sweden, in an uncharacteristically aggressive move for Sweden, invaded Russia during the Great Northern War. The bitter cold absolutely devastated Swedish troops. And a similar fate met Napoleon's army just over 100 years later. His initial invasion during the summer was successful. But, as Fall set in, he too overestimated what his soldiers could bear, and after losing thousands upon thousands of men... Napoleon eventually retreated. Last, but certainly worst, was Operation Barbarossa, which I always call Operation Barbosa. I would think Operation Ponderosa, as in, we're going to a buffet, guys. <laughs> AKA Hitler's invasion of Russia in the summer of 1941. Much like Napoleon, where Hitler's armies had success during the warmer months, eventually winter got the better of them, and he lost over 750,000 troops before november so be sure to check the farmer's almanac and limit all invasions of russia to june through august of any given year and maybe invest in tauntauns because a land invasion of russia seems to generally always be a big mistake yeah let's not invest in 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 sorrel boots let's invest let's invest in tauntauns a fictional giant creature that we can then slaughter and crawl inside of and not just get a good north face from the beginning I'm glad you brought up Tauntauns. I didn't. (laughs) Don't you gaslight me. I'm glad glad you expounded on Tauntauns. Okay. (laughs) Because let's move into what I like to call the pop culture mistakes realm. And I have a story for you, Audrey. Thank God. Are you ready? 
Yeah, I'm so ready. That's why I come here every one every Monday. We record on Mondays, guys. You get them on Thursdays. Once upon a time, when movies didn't automatically have sequels, let alone huge mother-loving franchises that followed their initial release, there once was a young man named George. Oh. George had an idea for a movie about space. And there were Wookiees and scruffy nerf herders and sarcastic sassy droids. I don't know what any of those things are yet because the movie hasn't been made yet. And George, who had just made a movie called American Graffiti for Universal, took his space opera action slash comedy idea to the executives there. And they said, George, we like you, but this won't go anywhere, bud. So George went to Fox and Fox said, wow, this is great. Go ahead and make your one movie, buddy. And on his way out the door, George turned and said, hey, guys, mind if I try to make some like, I don't know, like toys and uh, like Halloween costumes and stuff. And Fox said, oh, sure, George, you can keep all sequel and merchandising rights, buddy, if that makes you feel good. And he did. George Lucas retained all merchandising and sequel rights to the Star Wars franchise, which on one hand is why we got really shitty prequels and the Star Wars Christmas special. But on the other is how we ended up with baby Yoda in our lives. So I think it's safe to say that the big companies learned from this mistake. Never give up the merchandising. But I do want to point out a glaring mistake on George Lucas's part. What's that? I think that given his experience with American Graffiti, the choice to overlook Ron Howard when casting Star Wars, huge mistake. Big mistake, huge. They should have cast him as the uh, omnipresent narrator. Like I was going to say development. I was going to say R two D two. Bleep bloop. <laughs> so here's another mistake on behalf. <laughs> Cast Ron Howard. We're paying Ron Howard, but you only have three lines. Beep, boop, and woo! Accurate. (laughs) I don't know if any of that's going to get picked up by the mic. I think it did. Okay, good. So here's another one where the mistake on behalf of a large corporation came back and slapped them on the proverbial bottom. Ooh. In 2009, Facebook turned down two programmers for a job. It must happen all the time, I'm sure. Brian Acton and Jan Kaum looked forward to what's next after being turned down in 2009. In fact, directly afterwards, Acton tweeted, quote, Facebook turned me down, looking forward to life's next adventure. What's next for them ended up being WhatsApp, a social media platform that Facebook spent $19 billion to obtain just five years later in 2014. Sorry, Zuckerberg, but in this scenario, you're the retail associate and Brian and Jan are Julia Roberts sticking their shopping bags in your face and smugly saying, big mistake, huge. Which I can literally only hear in Kelly Kapoor's voice now. Slash almost sometimes Dwight Trude. Dwight Trude. So... We could talk for days about the unfortunate for some, fortunate for others, history-altering mistakes that led us to this crazy reality that we are living in 2021. But for good measure, let's throw in a few oopsies that benefited the world at large. Okay. Starting 
with a dirty office space. Ooh, we love a dirty space. That was, that was filthy. Alexander Fleming left his lab. Sorry. Let's take that again. Alexander Fleming left his laboratory unattended for the entire month of August 1928. <laughs> Fleming was a Scottish researcher working with the influenza virus. Ever heard of it? in the laboratory of the inoculation department at St. Mary's Hospital in London. Eager to get gone for a month and soak up the sun and some Mai Tais with his family on the beach, Fleming had left a mess, including a Petri dish, which had accumulated mold. My guy! My guy! Come on! Surprisingly, Fleming noticed that the mold had prevented the growth of staphylococci. Staphylococci. Don't look at me like I'm going to correct you. I don't know. Yeah, staph infection. Thusly, the world's first natural antibiotic was born. Penicillin, after Fleming perfected it, of course, finally caught on a few years later, saving countless lives during World War II. Look no further for an excuse to leave those dishes sitting in the sink overnight. It's not a mistake. It's an experiment. I'm trying to cure COVID. (laughs) If only get vaccinated everybody please sometimes what seems like the biggest unfortunate mistake of your life can lead you to heights you never dreamed that you could attain tony iomi famed (laughs) guitarist great name great name (laughs) famed guitarist for black sabbath worked in a factory prior to becoming a metal legend he was in charge of operating one specific machine and one fateful day when his role was switched with another employee he lost the tips of two of his fingers. I couldn't find which one specifically, but I'm going to go ahead and assume it was stayed home and roast beef. <laughs> a little piggy's joke. It's a it doesn't it's not that great because your piggies are your toes, but I don't care. I thought that was delightful. Thank you. I owe. <laughs> Iomi was already a dedicated guitar player, and rather than try to learn the instrument with his non-dominant hand, he fashioned finger caps made from melted plastic bottles in order to hold down the strings on his guitar. Get it. He also changed the tuning of his guitar, or this also changed the tuning of his guitar, which served to create a heavier overall sound. And this sound is what Black Sabbath became known for and what propelled the heavy metal genre forward as we know it to this day. A factory mistake led to the creation of heavy metal. And you can't get much more metal than mistakenly whacking off your own fingers and then going, all right, then let's figure this out, mate. (laughs) All right. So I was going back today because our list of prior episodes is just chock full of historic mistakes. No, they're Um, not. It is, though. Famous planes. They are. Famous planes which I would say is the mistake would be Buddy Holly's plane trying to fly at night. (laughs) That's a big mistake. Every plane crash where the plane is trying to fly, there was a mistake and that the plane didn't fly. Is that your argument? (laughs) Big mistake. (laughs) You know, on second thought, I shouldn't have included that one. Anyway, (laughs) unnatural disasters. Huge mistakes on my part. And Watergate, to name Whoa. a few. Yeah. 
which if you want to go back, those are episodes 40, 18, and 3. Also episode 2, Don't Screw Over the Backstreet Boys. True. We hadn't mentioned them yet. I had to get them in there. Sorry. Other historic blunders, of course, include the infamous Trojan horse, the fact that NASA apparently taped over the original moon landing footage, and more recently, the fact that the French government spent $15 billion on new trains only to discover that they were too wide for the 1,300 station platforms for which they were purchased. What? Yeah, I didn't go too deep into it, but they spent a lot of money on new uh, state-of-the-art commuter trains and then discovered that they purchased the wrong size, essentially. So they had to spend more, more billions, millions, whatever it is, to widen the buy back the. Oh, I thought they were going to try and sell the trains to another country. (laughs) You want these trains? They do not fit in our station. I can't do French. All you have to do is lop off the last consonants of whatever words you're saying. We'll give you... (laughs) You got it. Big discount. (laughs) 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 That was a brat or something. You sound like somebody I don't want to come across in an alleyway in Paris. (laughs) I'll give you big discounts. What in the Austria? Okay. I'm going to give you a minute to compose yourself and go on. <laughs> okay. A recent Scientific American article, call, article called The Psychology of the Breathtakingly Stupid Mistake. Great name. Describes a study in which three varieties of stupid mistakes are categorized. The first is when a person's confidence outstrips their skill i.e. the three invasions of Russia over 300 years with the same result each time. The second, that I would also include in that one, I think they use an example like like serial killers or um, thieves that were caught for making stupid mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. It's the ego factor. It's always, it's always. Serial killers get caught when they fuck up. The second type of uh, breathtakingly stupid mistake are uh, those that are impulsive acts, like a sitting president ordering the break-in of the Democratic headquarters on a whim, even though he was already going to win the election. Watergate. I get nervous. (laughs) The third are mistakes involving a lapse in attention. You know, like getting your boat stuck in the Suez Canal, uh, driving down the wrong street, Leopold, or accidentally cutting your fingers off at work. Tony. The article wraps up with this. It is, of course, unrealistic to think that we could ever eliminate human error. To err will always be human. However, this research gives us a better description of our failings and foibles. A plus for using the word foibles. I love the word foibles. And a place to start in thinking about interventions and prescriptions to help us err less. This research also reminds us of our shared human frailties. We are all prone to overestimating our abilities, to making impulsive decisions, and to lapses of attention. This simple realization makes stupid mistakes seem perhaps a little less stupid and a little more human. Now, as I tend to underestimate my abilities, I don't make mistakes, of course. So I am the exception that proves the rule. Audrey, continue with your segment, please. 
Uh, that was Elena, resident perfect person and human pants on fire advocate. I don't like making mistakes. I have a hard no time admitting when I'm wrong. Does. That's why we say, uh, oh, when they happen. But I'm a special snowflake. We pick oopsie daisies, not yazy daisies. <laughs> we are excited about our mistakes. And also I'm putting that on a t-shirt. We pick oopsie daisies, not what? Not yazy daisies. <laughs> I'm growing daisies downstairs. Is that a metaphor? No, I got. I have a pot of daisies and they're starting to bloom. Oh, are they like big daisies or Gerber daisies? I don't know. Right now they're tiny little green nothings. Well, it's spring, everybody. Get a new plant and shower it with love. And come with me on my journey into on this journey. The past. Anastasia, 1996. We're not going to Russia, though. Picture it. The Holy Roman Empire, 1628. Just 10 years into what would later be known as the Thirty Years' War, and Germany is on the ropes. So just like a third of the way through that war. Yeah. No, no, no. We're just, they don't even know. There's 20 more years of this shit. In a contest between German Emperor Ferdinand II and the Holy Roman Empire versus Protestant citizens of Germany and followers of the Reformation, what up, Martin Luther? Sweden and France took up support for my Lutheran homies while Spain and Austria repped the Pope. In the summer of 1628, the German city of Strasland was under siege from the, from the Catholic Wallenstein forces. With Danish and Swedish reinforcements bolstering the Protestant defenses within the city. Finally, on August 4th, King Christian IV of Denmark sent an army that absolutely clog stomped the Wallensteins and cemented Stralsund as a bastion of the Reformation. Perhaps the Swedes might have had a larger role in the defense of the city, but they were just a week behind King Christian in prep. That paragraph. Is what 10th grade English teacher Barb Huberty would call a Big Mac paragraph. So you get a country and you get a country and this is a war and this is a, this is, (laughs) here's who's in charge and religion. There's so many proper nouns in it. That was also my way of trying to, I rewrote that so many times because when you get those Big Mac paragraphs, that's, that is where you can tend to glaze over and be like, I don't know what's going on. So hopefully Everyone is on the same page as what country goes where and who's fighting what side here. So on August 10th, six days after the complete and utter defense of the city and the absolute stomping of the Wallensteins, emboldened by their shared victory at Stralsund and ready to say to Europe, welcome to the Spiedenhaus, y'all. Crowds gathered to bid goodbye to the most blinged out spectacular warship the world had ever seen. 64 bronze cannons, intricately carved with broads, angels, bears, and probably the plot lines of at least 12 different parables and fairy tales, this massive floating cuckoo clock was, quote, the last gasps of the medieval sculpture tradition with its fondness for gaudy colors in a style that today would be considered extravagant or even vulgar. Good for her. Oh, I just heard that in Jessica Walter's voice. It's because I said it in Jessica Walter's voice. Good for you. All right. <laughs> 
dubbed the most powerful warship of her time, the Vasa, oh. cast off, right? Cast off on a legendary maiden voyage for about 2,500 feet. Oh, no. At which point the massive floating wedding cake of death foundered. <laughs> Still within sight of the crowds, foreign ambassadors, and gads of enemy spies. The warship sank to the seabed, taking at least 30 crewmen with it. Oh, no. So the king was mad. That was an expensive toy. It was an expensive toy. And when he caught wind of the maritime, uh-oh, he did what most monarchs of the medieval slash Baroque era did, try to find someone to blame and draw and quarter them publicly for daring to embarrass the nation. Mm-hmm. Like you do. Surviving officers and crew members were drilled on everything from their naval knowledge to their drinking habits, but nothing more than a whole bunch of finger pointing came of the inquiries. Next, attention was directed to the shipbuilders, charged with absolute, this absolute read of a question. Quote, and the prosecutor asked this, Why did you build the ship so narrow, so badly, and without enough bottom that it capsized? And the shipwright answered, I made the ship exactly the way the architect said, who made plans under the direct orders of the king. Well, the architect was dead, and the king wasn't about to flog himself publicly. So in the end, the case was closed, and the official cause of the flounder was only God knows. Act of God. You got to own your mistakes. So what gives? Uh, Clearly something happened. And seeing as how the Vasa never made it that far from port, its location was not only well-known, but able to be relatively protective. So... All the way in the future in 1961, the ship was able to be examined, and it was found that the waterlogged behemoth was asymmetrical, being thicker on the port side than the starboard side. Same, though, right? Right? One's always bigger than the other. It has to do with your dominant hand. Yeah. Uh My dominant side's bigger. The difference was a solid foot, meaning... That bitch was going to roll like a kid going downhill in a tractor tire as soon as it began to tip the slightest in one direction. Archaeologists have found four rulers used by the workmen who built the Vasa. Two were calibrated in Swedish feet, which had 12 inches, while the other two measured Amsterdam feet, which, which had 11 inches and wooden shoes. How could this happen? Is that what you were going to ask? Audrey, how could this happen? Wait. Easy. Take it again. Do it again. How could this happen? It's easy, you dumb slut. (laughs) As recently as 400 years ago, when the Vasa was being constructed, there were literally millions of different units of measurement, even within the same country. Like over 200 million in France. I'm sorry, that blew my mind when I was looking into it. I was like, how does anyone communicate anything about the size of anything? Like, what size board do you need? That's roughly the size of Uncle Jim's foot. (laughs) That wasn't French. Did you hear Jason broke up with Brittany? Yeah, I heard he's hung like Steve. What does that mean? (laughs) 
Which Steve? Good Steve or my brother Steve? Because, I mean, I know both, but I don't want to talk about one. Standards like the weight of a barley grain varied not only region to region, but season to season based on climate. Another common rule of thumb was literally the length of a leader's thumb (laughs) or a favorite leg. And if that wild range of variation weren't enough to sink a warship, international laborers often didn't speak the same numeric language. It wasn't even until the late Middle Ages that we got on board with the Hindu-Arabic decimal system and away from integers like Roman numerals. And be grateful for that upgrade the next time you and your partner try to LXIX. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so proud of that joke. I'm going to take it on the road. (laughs) You ready to come back? Are you trying to figure it out in your head? Sorry. No, I know it. I know no, it. No, I'm just saying positionally. I'm just laughing at it. I'm just, how to LXIX. X. That is brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> but even with the transition to a common numeric system, the world wasn't ready for standard measurements. It wasn't until 1789 that, along with the Enlightenment and Revolutionary France, the metric system was created for reasons both practical and political. By creating standard units for measure of a weight and a size, for instance, ruling classes couldn't play the they said, we said on the price of grain or the rate of taxes from province to province, blaming local measurements for discrepancies or confusion. Beyond the Napoleonic era, which saw the refinement and regulation of these new standards, the appeal spread globally as a boon to the international trade regulation system. And so... The metric system grew to dominate Europe and eventually the world, becoming the standard language of science. Hey, Lainey, Mm -hmm. why aren't we on the metric system? Do you want some multiple choice options? Yes. All right. Your choices are A, someone's grandmother threw a fit in public. B, the price of tea in China. Mm Mm-hmm. C, pirates. Why aren't we on the metric system? It was Karen in the conservatory in China with the pirates. You know what? People don't like inviting people like you to, to murder mystery parties, you know? Nope. You nope. <laughs> Fun fact, the answer is pirates. Hmm. In 1793, French botanist Joseph Dombey packed up his weights and measures, bid adieu to the Jacques and Jacquelines of the Revolution, and set off for America at the invitation of the infamous Francophile, Thomas Jefferson. Dombey, yes. I wasn't going to sing or anything. Nope. I want to I give you the space to be who you are. Thomas Jefferson's coming. Oh, oh, oh. Shine bright, shine far, be a star. Dumby had essentially um, had with him essentially a meter stick and a standard kilo weight. It was a little copper weight and was prepared to demonstrate the metric system before the U.S. government encouraging the states to go metric, leaving the imperial system behind. But the winds were not in his favor. And after having been blown off course, Dumby's ship was seized by 
British privateers who confiscated his belongings and tossed Dumby in jail where he died. Topic for a whole other day. The British were real butthurt about the American Revolution and the French involvement, and there's a whole swath of stories about high seas kidnappings like this. Wow. Right? The British take every opportunity to suck, and boy, do they do it. (sighs) Yeah. Love fish and chips, though. Mm-hmm. Anyway, having missed the boat or having had the the boat seized in its infancy, Amer- America grew to be a nation built using the imperial standard, or IS. And American children have thus grown to be more accustomed to counting in multiples of 12 and counting ounces to the pound, while frequently miscalculating caloric intake by conflating ounces of weight with fluid ounces, which why did we name those the same thing? Like when we use the imperial system, weight is equal to mass, even though within the scientific world, mass is weight by volume. And I'm not saying that the empirical system, sorry, not empirical, imperial system is what kept me from becoming a scientist. But I will say that I was super jazzed about studying physics and chemistry in high school, but shit like this really threw me for a loop. And it's not Mr. Topo's fault that I definitely got a C in those classes because of extra credit Bible quotes and not because of actual merit. I really wanted to be into science, man. It did didn't work really, in my head. I did really, really well in chemistry and very poorly in physics. So it just seems like fun. Yeah. It would be fun to be smart. You're correct. But instead, we chose a life. Bitch, in I didn't say I wasn't smart. <laughs> I said I didn't science well. You're a theater major. I am a theater. <laughs> Jumped to the <laughs> jump to the conclusion. <laughs> I conflate that. All right. Now sometimes these conversion mix-ups are just that mix-ups. If you've seen the movie This Is Spinal Tap, you'll remember the 18-inch Stonehenge that was built for their stage when they requested an 18-foot-tall replica. Hilarious. And based on an actual mix-up being mentioned once again in this episode in 1983, it's Black Sabbath. Round of applause for Black Sabbath. They really keep, they're the Backstreet Boys of the metal world. They keep coming into the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In 1983, the managers of Black Sabbath commissioned an 18-foot Stonehenge replica for the Born Again tour. However, the British band contracted a British design company who read the dimensions in meters instead of feet. Crafting a behemoth five-story Stonehenge that wouldn't even fit on stage. Hilarious, sir. What do you even do with the leftovers? Do you send them to a mall in Wyoming and be like, hey, here's a play set for kids to crawl on randomly yeah. in the middle of the mall? We were going to send you a breakfast picnic <laughs> setup, but here's, you Stone- my joke. <laughs> here's Stonehenge. <laughs> Instead of a bowl of cereal with a spoon, <laughs> here's Stonehenge. <laughs> It's a five-story tall Stonehenge. No, it doesn't have slides or ladders. The kids will figure it out. Sometimes conversion mix-ups also cost millions of dollars or euros. The Mars Climate Orbiter was a 338-kilogram robotic space probe launched by NASA on December 11, 1998 to study what else? Mars. 
The navigation team at Jet Propulsion Laboratory used the metric system of millimeters and meters in its calculations, while Lockheed Martin Astronautics in Denver, Colorado, which designed and built the spacecraft, uh, provided crucial acceleration data in the English system of inches, feet, and pounds. JPL engineers did not take into consideration that the units have been converted because why would they? That's not what they asked for. The acceleration readings measured in English units of pounds uh, to second squared for a metric measure of force called newtons to second squared. I'm sorry if I said that wrong, scientists that listen to this podcast. I'm sorry, Mr. Topol, it's not your fault. In a poetic sense, the spacecraft was lost in translation. In a very real sense, the probe was shot into space with way more force than necessary. (laughs) He booked Mars and is lost in space in the universe somewhere going, (laughs) Oh, but I bet it's having a heck of a time out there. Bring it back. Good for Ron Howard, R2-D2. Ron2-D2. Oh, my God. We've really gone off the rails this episode. Okay. <laughs> OP2D2. <laughs> what if C3PO was Aunt BPO? And it was just let's stop. What is Andy what is Andy William, Andy Griffith doing and can he play Luke Skywalker? Okay, very different movie. <laughs> With Han Knotts as Han Solo, are you kidding me? Christopher Walken was almost who was he? Was he was he Han or was he Luke? Almost Luke. I can't. Remember. I don't know, but I'm just picturing Don Knotts in that in the pivotal "I love you" scene. And Leia says, "I love you," and he's like, "I know." <laughs> <laughs> and then he's frozen. Oh, what, what could have been? So anyway, Earth shot a spitball into the galaxy to the tune of $125 million. And that's just the robot. The whole project with labor and research came to $327 million. So NASA made an oops. 400 years ago, Messrs. Jacobsons and Enrichsons and Johanssonsons and all the Soons who built the VASA made an oops too. But somewhere between VASA and NASA. Wow. Thank you. Snaps. Snaps all around. (laughs) I think the good old USA made an oops too. (laughs) By that, I mean the US of A. Yeah, the pirates weren't planned, but we've had so many chances over the years to get on board the metric train. But still, we're only one of three countries still using the imperial system of measurement. And I didn't have this opinion last week, but I do now. My fellow Americans, sleeping on the metric system is a big mistake. That also goes for Liberia and Myanmar, the other two countries that are using the imperial system. Come on. Weren't we supposed to switch in like the 80s? Uh, Yeah, there was a bill that came up. And then by the time it actually came for that, it was... I don't know if it was the filibuster. Something had it on a back burner and being picked to pieces over the course of about 10 years. So by the time it finally got to Gerald Ford's desk, when Ford was president, it essentially had no content. And it was just a, a post-it note that said, metric? Question and he was mark. like, 
And he was like, what is this? <laughs> and, and, he, pass. and he was like, uh, Jack Berger, Carrie Bradshaw, post-it note. I'm sorry, I can't. Don't hate me. It's the imperial system. I'm sorry, I can't. Don't, don't hate, hate me. me. <laughs> oh, so now it's like, how far is it to Jed's farm? Well, that's about 20 AR-15s over there. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. No. <laughs> dark. Dark. Guns in Australia. Right. Go back to Don Knotts' Han Solo. <laughs> this is too dark. <laughs> Did I say you kiss your sister? Um. <laughs> I don't think Han Solo ever said that, but I know he was thinking it. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, those were the mistakes. Lots of mistakes. Yeah. Black Sabbath has come up in maybe five of our episodes now. That's true. My favorite is still our Aussie impression. Or were you <laughs> from with the Russia episode? From the from the Russia concert, yeah. Oh, what is it? He just yelled on the plane. Oh, oh take a fucking piss. I've got fucking pain. Uh, yeah, if you haven't listened to the Leningrad Stadium episode, yeah, let's shout out past episodes. If you're just joining us now, it's been a long journey to get to where we are. Um, and prior to episode 25, we were real site-specific. And are they all great? Nah. But there's some jewels, and we suggest that you shift you, you sift through those. It would be a mistake to leave them behind. Constantly oh. improving. Yeah. And in 10 episodes... It will be our one year anniversary. Oh my god! I think it's paper is the one year paper so the anniversary. Paper. Uh huh. <laughs> I'm gonna think of a joke for later. I don't know okay. what it is yet, but I feel yeah. like there's one there. But I also think I'm confusing it with the movie Powder. <laughs> I'm laughing at you in the future. Okay. Also starring Jeff Goldblum. This episode. <sighs> bring it around bring it around i also do want to say that you you ta- you tippy tapped into uh getting close to what we want to talk about next week what is it elena can you answer me a question yes are you a dirty girl oh my god <laughs> i don't know how to answer the question we'll figure it out by next week because we're talking about hygiene <laughs> I did try native deodorant, not a sponsor. Hashtag not a sponsor. The cucumber mint. I would not use that and then go do a gym workout. Just don't do it. You have to smell yourself the whole time. It's real bad. If you're doing a real heavy workout, it's Mitchum or Dove or nothing. Oh, I'm purely Old Spice over here. Which is actually also my name in the Spice Girls. Purely Old Old Spice? That I'm in. (laughs) Old Spice. In the meantime, you can find us at If These Walls Pod on Instagram, If These Walls Pod at gmail.com, and If These Walls Podcast.com. And you can rate, review, and subscribe on the iTunes. That really, really helps a lot. And Audrey, any final parting words? Look at my nephew. He's very cute. Looks like Not a, a mistake. Not a mistake. <laughs> and don't let the door hit you on the way out. Bye. Goodbye. I'm going to go and 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 go